spiritually from the Word. And so I ask you, if you will tonight, to please open your Bibles with me to the book of Hebrews chapter number 11. And we're going to pray before we get into this tonight. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you tonight with thanksgiving. We praise you and thank you for your holy written word. It is you speaking to us. This word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. Your word is the revelation of you to us. So, Father God, tonight we know that we can't learn it all in one night. We can't receive it all in one sitting. But help us tonight to receive exactly what we're supposed to receive, that we will hear exactly what we're supposed to hear, and that your word will come forth just the way you want it to do. So I yield myself to you, think through my mind, speak through my lips unto your precious people from your precious word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our topic for these Wednesday nights recently has been faith is. We study faith, and it's not on the peripheral for us as a church. It's not in just a rotation of messages that we preach as a pastor and bring to you because it's been X number of weeks since we taught about it. We don't, we, I don't function that way. Faith is not a peripheral issue. It is one of the main issues for us. Just a few days ago, on the 1st of July, we celebrated 42 years of full-time ministry. And I am so grateful and appreciative to, to God for helping us because if you knew where we came from, you, you would really, really be able to say, praise God, the word works. We began 42 years ago in full-time ministry, and we were not a part of any denomination. And I'm not against that. I'm not saying that's not a good thing. That's just not the way the Lord led us, and we never were, never have been. In all of these years, God has been faithful. If I had a three-word testimony to tell you about our journey in ministry, that's the, the, the three-word testimony would be, God is faithful. And he has taken such wonderful care of us and blessed us. And I will credit the things that we're teaching about faith here to you tonight and have been for a number of, of weeks. And I would encourage you to listen to those if you haven't already been in all the meetings. I would, I would credit a great deal of, of our blessing and uh, uh, the ability to even survive all these years through many different things. I would accredit it to a, to a great extent to these truths of faith. My estimation and my opinion, you might not agree, but to me, first is the message of salvation, the new birth, becoming a Christian. No, important, no more important message than that. Secondly, I am so grateful for the message of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit that I received as a young man, and then I am very grateful for this message, because about 40 years ago, we became acquainted with what some people call the faith message. We became acquainted with some of these truths that I'm sharing with you, and uh, it's not just hype, and it's not just preacher talk. 
It really has changed my life. And so we study faith because it's so important. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It doesn't just suggest that we learn about faith and walk by faith. It actually says that it is not possible to please God without faith. One of the things I've learned on my journey in life is that if God's not pleased, I'm not going to be pleased. Not fully, not completely. Nobody ever comes to the complete manifestation of their own pleasure and satisfaction until they are pleasing God. And you can't please God without faith. If there was no other statement than that one that we had to share with you, that would be enough to say that this is an important topic and one we need to learn. As a matter of fact, since we know that God doesn't change and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that would mean that, it's, that if, it pleases God, if, if it takes faith to please God today, then a million years from now it will take faith to please God. So this is not a subject that's going away. This is not just a stopgap thing to get you until you either die or Jesus comes back for the church. That's not what it's about. This is a fundamental principle of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 6 tells us it is one of the six fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ. Along with repentance and, and uh, baptisms and all those other things that are listed is the doctrine of faith toward God. And then we know from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 that by grace, through faith, we're saved. So grace and faith provides our salvation. Now the word saved in Ephesians 2.8 is the Greek word sozo. Sozo is an all-inclusive word. It obviously includes salvation from sin, deliverance from demons. It, it, it is the ticket to heaven, if you will. There's no doubt about that. But it is more than that if you study the word. It means deliverance. Deliverance from the hand of the enemy, deliverance from demons and demon oppression and the strategies of the devil and all of those things that he would try to do to steal, kill, and destroy. It includes dominion over him, but it also includes deliverance from temporal danger and it includes healing. If you study the word out, you'll find that I'm telling you the truth. And so actually, Ephesians 2.8 is telling us that the redemptive blessings of Jesus are made available to us by grace. So we don't buy them, we don't earn them. They're given to us through faith. Faith is the conduit through which blessings flow. You see, we live in two realms simultaneously. We usually don't think much about it, really, but it's really true. We live in two realms simultaneously. We live in the natural realm, the realm we can uh, see, the realm we can taste, we can touch, we can hear, all of those areas that respond to or that we can uh, use our sensory perception with. But also, we live in the spiritual dimension because man is a spirit being. We're spiritual beings having natural experiences. We're not natural experiences having, I mean, we're not natural beings having spiritual experiences. 
we're spiritual beings having natural experiences. And the conduit between this natural world that we're living in right now and the spiritual world that James tells us that all good and perfect gifts come from and come down, as he says, from the Father of lights, that conduit or that pipeline that brings those blessings from the glory world, the eternal world, into this natural world, that pipeline is called faith. Faith. It provides the conduit for salvation to pass from that realm to this one. And faith, we know, is a product of the living word of God. Jesus said his words were spirit and life, John 6, 63. And Paul says that faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17, hearing by the word of God. So faith, this spiritual product, if you will, gives us the ability to receive or to take anything that that word says is ours. Anything in the Bible that is clearly the property, if you will, or the blessing or the right of a Christian, your faith can take. Your faith can receive. So what we understand then is that faith gives us the ability to please God and we can't please him without it. And on the other hand, faith gives us the ability to receive from God. And by the way, it's when you receive by faith that God gets his greatest pleasure. He's not getting any pleasure of, what, of, of us doing without what Jesus bought and paid for. Can you imagine that if you died for something on the behalf of someone else, and then you rose again to be the executor of your own estate, and you provided the power to bring it to pass, and you had your word on this issue written down and recorded so that it could be spoken again, and then one of those people that you had died for and paid such an awesome price for just decided they don't think they're going to bother about it. Well, that wouldn't make you happy, would it? Some of you ladies know what it is. You've had children, grandchildren. You prepare a meal maybe, and you get all ready. You've been planning for days, and you've got all this table spread and ready to go, and, and uh, you're just looking forward to this family gathering, and you just are so excited about it. And about five minutes before the time for dinner, you get a call that uh, key people, they're not coming. It's a disappointment, isn't it? And that's exactly what God goes through when he has provided all these things, spread the table, invited us to come, gave us everything we need to, to be able to enjoy what he's provided. And then for whatever reason, we just don't do it. God's greatest pleasure comes when we, through faith, receive everything he has for us. You, bring, you being broke, busted, and disgusted brings no pleasure to God. You, be, you and I being sick, in pain, diseased, and tormented in any way physically is not bringing any pleasure to God. You and I being in a state of fear and anxiety, worry, oppression, 
It's bringing no pleasure to God. Now, I'm not saying that to put anybody under condemnation if you're fighting a battle in any of these areas. That's not what I'm saying this for. I'm saying this to tell you that absolutely, positively, there's a way out. Maybe we have not found the, the precise pathway as of this moment, but we're beginning. We're working. We're going in that direction. Amen. And one of the most powerful things you can do is to study this subject of faith. We have learned from Hebrews 11, verse 1, that faith is, number one, substance. It is a very real spiritual and heavenly materiality. Just because you can't see it with your eyes or smell it with your nose or taste it with your tongue or feel it with your fingers, or that doesn't mean that it isn't real. As we pointed out before, we, we all know about things that we can't perceive with our senses, but yet they are real. And we just kind of laughed about the fact about how that when they do those x-rays of your teeth, the people leave the room to flash the picture. Uh, it's because there's something that you can't feel and something that you don't see and something that you don't taste and something you don't smell, but it's very, very real. And so it is in the realm of faith, only in a positive way, of course, that faith is a spiritual substance. It brings what we hope for into the present reality. Hope is always future. It's a goal. Faith is always present. It's substance for that which we hope for. So faith says, I receive. Not I'm going to receive. Not I hope to receive. Faith says, I receive. Faith says, it's mine. Faith says, I have it now. If it's not now, it's not faith. And then number two, we learned also from the 11th uh, chapter, verse 1, that faith is evidence. It is proof. It's the proof that we have that which we believe for. It's the proof that it's mine. It's the proof that I can say, I have it now. Other people may not be convinced of it, but you know what I've come to realize? I don't have to convince other people. I mean, I don't want to be unkind about it, but it doesn't amount to a hill of beans what anybody else believes. Where my life is concerned, it does matter what I believe. And if somebody else looks at me and says, well, they don't have it, that's their problem. Because if I have laid claim by my faith to something that God's word makes clear belongs to me, then I can make the bold confession it's mine. I have it now. And somebody could ask me, how do you know you have it? And that's when I bring to them the word and say, this is my evidence. Because you see the word of God, the source of your faith is now your evidence. And that's how and why your believing will line up with the will of God. That's God's safety fence around this whole issue of faith. Because if you can't base it on the word, then it's not really faith. But if it's in the word, I'm going for it. How about you? I mean, if God didn't want me to have it, he shouldn't have told me about it. It's like telling a four-year-old there's some candy in the drawer. Amen. <laughs> you know, they, they, they know about those kind of things pretty quickly. And you know what? We're just, we're God's kids. And I've learned there's some real good things in this book. Yeah. 
There's some wonderful stuff that God has made available. Amen. And my faith is my evidence. It's the proof that what I believe for is mine. I have it now. Amen. Now, faith is automatic. It's an automatic response to the hearing and the revelation of the Word of God. When you hear the Word, faith comes automatically. You don't have to strain. You don't have to grunt. You don't have to pull any levers. You don't have to squint up your face. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to clasp your hands. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to do anything like that. If you're hearing the Word of God, faith comes. And faith comes on the wings of revelation. Everybody say revelation. revelation. Now, revelation is not some weird old thing. It's not some uh, uh, flaky, ethereal thing necessarily. It is a reality, again, in the spiritual dimension. It is the revealing of truth to you. That's what revelation knowledge is. It is revealing truth to you that from that point on, you know. There was a time in my life when I didn't know that God would heal every Christian. I didn't know because I had not studied and no one had taught me that divine healing was bought and paid for at the cross. That healing, for instance, is a redemptive blessing. But once I became aware that it was a redemptive blessing, once I learned that, once I got the revelation that it was as much God's will to heal me as it is God's will to save me, then it changed my whole attitude about my healing and my health. And so in spite of the attacks of the devil, in spite of my own personal failures where my body is concerned, I have not always taken good care of myself. I've not always eaten right. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room, but I won't ask you to make a confession. I'll be nice. But I realize that healing is not based on my works. Healing is not based on my track record. Healing is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I know and you know that if, I'm, if, if you're actively messing up, you've got to quit and you've got to change and you've got to repent. And that, we understand all that. However, past perfection isn't a requirement for present blessings. But faith is. Hearing and believing and acting on the word is. And so faith is an automatic response to the hearing and revelation of the word of God, bringing us to a place where that we truly believe. We truly believe. Believing is essential, but it isn't sufficient. Now, I know that sounds strange. I'm going to explain it. But I want to say it again because it's so important. Believing is essential, but it's not sufficient. I used this illustration last time, and I want to use it again. Let's say I am, I don't know exactly if I use water or food, but anyway, let's use water. Let's say I've been without water for a long, long, long time. You know you can go without food longer than you can go without water. You know that? And some of us can go without food longer than others can go without food. But we won't go there either. Uh, but anyhow, uh, 
you can't, you can only live so long without water. And you can, you know, you can only maintain strength and health so long without water. All right, so we know that. We all agree. I don't have to ask you to raise your hand. You know that's true. So we could honestly say tonight that we believe that if we drink water, it's going to help us survive. We believe if we drink water that it is taking in an essential part of life for our physical body. We believe we must take in water to maintain health and strength and all the rest. Is there anything wrong with what we believe? No. Are we believing correctly? Yes. But what happens if you don't drink any water? You're going to die. You see, you can believe the right thing and still do without what you believe. You've got to act on the word. And that brings us to the next thing that faith is. Faith is a decision. Faith is a decision. You know, some of you are just one decision away from a changed life. You're just one decision away from barely getting by to living in abundance. You're one decision away from sickness and disease to divine healing. And we could go on and on with the list here. But faith is a decision. Our will is involved. Which means we choose what we believe. When people say, I can't believe, I sympathize with them. And I realize, in a sense of speaking, they can't. Because nobody can believe for what they don't know to be the will of God. Faith begins where the will of God is known. So when somebody says, I can't believe in healing, or I, I can't believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today, and so forth, I know immediately that's a person who does not have revelation in that area. I know that they are suffering and they are perishing, perhaps, even. For a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. A lack of revelation, truth from the Word. However, you can make a decision to believe. And one of the primary things that happens when you decide to believe is that simultaneously almost, you have made a decision to listen and to hear the truth on that subject. Here's what happens when people study divine healing, even those who say in the beginning they don't believe in it. And I'm using divine healing as an illustration, but you could use this about other things. This would be especially true about financial prosperity because a lot of people have a problem with that subject. They, a lot, many people say they, they don't really believe much in that. They don't want to hear much about it and all the rest. But here's the thing. When you choose to hear the truth about that subject whatever it is, you choose to hear what God says, then you are immediately, with that decision, you are deciding to get some faith. You're deciding to get some faith. You go to a restaurant, you sit down, you open the menu, and you see there on the menu, you know, uh, crab cakes. And fresh asparagus and salad and good bread and whatever else you want with it. And you decide, that's what I want. Why? Because I've heard about it. I've seen this. I've, I've read the menu. 
I've got the word from this establishment that they have this, and they'll serve this to me. So I decide, and I tell the waiter or waitress, I say, this is what I want. I have made a decision to get me some crab cakes. You know, as you can tell, I love crab cakes. I mean, I, I like even the ones that are not so great, but I really do like, really like the really good ones. Anyway, when you decide, when you make a decision, when you choose to get in the Word of God and to hear the Word from someone who knows the truth that can teach you that truth, you have decided to get you some faith in whatever area it may be. So faith is a decision. It is the intersection of my will and God's will. So it's the intersection of my will and God's word. I decide to believe what he said. Now you see, we go into this with that mindset. I mean, if you're one of these people that always want to argue with God, you're not going to have problems. You already have problems. But if you will always go to God saying, you're God and I'm not, you're right whether I am or not, and I yield to you and to your thoughts, and I yield to your ways, I yield to your will, then faith will come, and you will begin to think and believe like God thinks and believes. And then the next thing is faith is action. Really, when you make a decision to go after faith, you're also going to make a decision to act on the Word of God. And last week we talked about what James called works in the old King James, and you might have a more modern translation that renders it corresponding actions. That's accurate. Faith without corresponding actions is dead. In other words, if you really believe something, you're going to act like you believe it. That's why we say believing is essential but not sufficient because you, you, you believe... But you've got to act. Believing alone isn't enough. Now, what I want to take a really short amount of time with tonight is to take a look at what does this process look like. And I'm going to try to go really fast because I really do want to cover this before we go. And I don't want to keep you here long. But this is very important. What does this process look like? Well, number one... It involves going to the Word and finding scriptures that cover the thing you need or the thing that you desire. The basic biblical standard is that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. You need to go to the Bible and make sure you can find two and preferably three, if not more, but a minimum of two or three scriptural witnesses that absolutely, positively, without any doubt, when you, if you believe those scriptures, then you believe that your need is met or your need is covered or your desire has been appropriated by God for you. In other words, if you're fighting the healing fight, then you're going to go to the scriptures and find at least two or three scriptures that you can hang your hat on. You know what I mean by that? And these are scriptures that you become so familiar with that, yes, probably you can quote them. Even if you think you don't have a great memory, even if you think you're not good at memorization, and if you've never been able to quote a whole lot of scriptures, if you live in two or three verses long enough, 
then you will have them so much inside of you that you can speak them. You may not get every single little little word in, but you will get the gist of it until anybody else that knows that scripture would know that's the one you're talking about. So we go to the word, and then number two, the next thing we do once we have, we're at that place is we meditate till we revelate. Now we go back to what we were saying earlier about revelation. You meditate those scriptures. You chew on those scriptures. You read them, emphasizing one word at a time. Read the whole verse, but emphasize one word. Then come back and reread that verse, emphasizing the second word. You know, when I think about, for instance, Proverbs chapter 4, this is a verse that, uh, uh, this is a passage that I've used a whole lot in the last few months. My son, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, my son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings, let them not depart from thine eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health or medicine to all their flesh. You can meditate on that verse for the longest time. And I just, I, I got to a place where I was saying, my son, attend, and I'd never really said it that way or thought about it that way before, but it just came to me as I was, you know, revelation knowledge came to me. My son, attend to my words. Whose words? God's words. Because you see, there are other words that I was hearing, other people's words, and there are other people's words that you could listen to. And there is even the words that the devil tries to bring to your mind. And so my son attend to my words. Let them not depart from thine eyes. And I knew and you know that in Old Testament days, everybody didn't have a copy of the scripture. So it can't be talking about like us looking at a printed Bible like we can now, even though that's wonderful to do. But he had to be referring to the fact that they had to have, a, they had to have an inner image, an inner reality, an inner picture of them having what the word says they have. Do you see yourself well? Do you see yourself strong? Do you see yourself doing things that right now your physical body says you can't do, but yet the Word would say you can do? That's what I mean by meditate till you revelate. You've got to know these verses and be sure of the will of God in the matter. And one of the reasons you've got to know that is because your faith will be tested. That's one thing the devil has learned about humans is that most of them failed the faith test. I wish that I had a different report for you, but my experience tells me that so many, many times people fail the faith test. I've failed some myself. It's easy to do. It's not always easy to pass, but it's possible every single time. And see, the reason that those faith tests can be so tough is because the devil gambles that if he can pour the pressure on, that he can get you to the place where you just quit. If you quit, you lose. If you don't quit, he loses. And I've noticed over the years, the ones who win are not the ones who make plans for failure. And I've also noticed that those who plan for failure most always lose. And many times we wonder, especially around 
churches that teach faith and teach healing. Sometimes people wonder why these things happen or this didn't happen or whatever. First of all, Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secret thing belongeth unto the Lord, and the things that are revealed are revealed to us and our children. There are things we're just not going to know because it's not any of our business. And when you get to heaven, I doubt if the first time you see old so-and-so, the first time you see them on the streets of glory, you're going to want to ask him, why did you die? No, you'll be rejoicing. These, these earthly things will have passed away and be far, far away. But the fact is, there are going to be things we don't know. And also, what I have uh, know for sure is that many times people make plans for failure that they don't tell other people about. People tell the preacher what they think he wants to hear. They tell their husband, they tell their wife what they think they want to hear. And sometimes people look like they're in faith, but they're not. Because the end result of faith is basically two things. It is your confession and your action. And if you're confessing something, but you're making plans to not have it, that's not faith. Amen. Now, this is tough stuff. This is strong meat. This is, you know, this is where the rubber meets the road. This, is a, this brings a line of demarcation and separation sometimes. People just think, well, that's, you know, I don't want to deal with all that. I'll just leave it all up to God. Well, we'll come to your funeral. Amen. We may shed a tear. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have to say that, did I? But meditate until you revelate. Know these verses and make sure of the will of God in the matter as your faith will be tested and results here's another reason you want to you want to get solid on this is because results may take time to manifest even though you have received in the spiritual dimension you've made your faith connection not everybody in Jesus ministry was healed instantaneously remember the lepers that were healed as they went Remember the man who went to the pool of Bethesda and washed and came back and was seeing. You say, why is that? You'll have to ask God. I'm not God and I don't have all those answers. But I do know this, that if I make my connection by faith and and I believe I've received, I'm not coming off that confession. I don't care what my body looks like. I don't care what my body feels like. I will have what the word says I will have. And I will have what I believe. Somebody said, well, I know somebody that, that did all of that and they died. I don't know about them. I don't know their case. But I know what the Word says. I'm staying with the Word. Now, armed with these truths, the source of our faith, the Word of God, we choose to definitely and permanently receive. Now, that's important. There must be a point and a time and a place in our life where we choose to definitely and permanently receive. In other words, we're not going back over this again. We definitely and permanently receive. And this can be through, and I'm, I'm really, quickly, I'm out of time already, but so I'm going to try to hurry through, but this, this is worth further study. This can come through confession. We've been to the scriptures. We we're sure of this truth, so we have begun to make a confession, even if you have to write it out until you can memorize it. And we, we, it can come through confession. It can come through prayer. 
the prayer of faith, because Mark eleven twenty three talks about faith working by saying, and Mark eleven twenty four, for instance, talks about faith working through praying. But you do know that if you pray, you're still saying. And uh, you can pray singularly by yourself, or you can play, pray plurally. You can agree with somebody, or you might have a, a group of people that can pray scripturally with you. Uh, I would be very cautious about who I ask to pray for me and pray with me. Because if people don't absolutely positively believe what you believe about it, then they're not going to pray like you would pray. Some of the greatest men of God I've ever known of throughout history were not people that asked everybody in the world to pray for them. They knew how to pray on their own. And there was a small circle of people, perhaps, that they would involve. I know somebody asked Brother uh, Kenneth E. Hagin one time, if you needed somebody to stand with you in faithful prayer, who would you ask? And without hesitation, he told him Norval Hayes. Well, if anybody knows about Norval Hayes, the late Norval Hayes, Norval Hayes was like a bulldog. When he put his faith on the line, he didn't quit. That's the kind of people you need. Amen. So, armed with these truths, we choose to receive. It can be done through confession, through prayer, both singularly or in, in, uh, with someone else. Or through other acts of faith, such as the laying on of hands. Or an anointed piece of cloth, etc. And once we have made our point of contact and released our faith, and at that point we believe that we receive, then we simply need to practice Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 23, which says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I pointed this out Sunday morning in the offering, uh, because you can tell I was meditating in these directions and, and thinking about this. But he doesn't say about anything that needs to be not wavering except your confession. I can promise you your mind will go all kinds of places. I can promise you that feelings may come and feelings may go. But I'm telling you, you have control over your mouth. And you can control your confession. You can hold fast to the confession of your faith. The same book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You know, if I were uh, holding fast to this pulpit tonight, it would be because I was thinking somebody was going to try to take it from me. I have absolutely no reason to hold fast onto this thing unless I think something's going to go wrong with it or somebody's going to take it. And so these scriptures give us a lot of evidence about how this thing works. The fight of faith is primarily you and I holding fast to our confession because the devil will do everything he can to rob you of your confession. If he can put enough pictures up and images in your mind to get you off your confession, he's succeeded. If he can send enough, even sometimes well-meaning people your way to talk you out of it, then he's succeeded. But if you never let go, if you're like a bulldog with a piece of steak and you're not, nobody's taking it from you, if you will not let go of your confession, if you will not waver in your confession, you shall have whatsoever you say. 
Practice Hebrews 10, 24, Hebrews 14, uh, 4 and 14. And finally, 2 Corinthians 4, 13, we having the same spirit of faith. According as it is written, I believe and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. The spirit of faith has a voice. Faith always has a voice. And it's not a voice of unbelief. Don't look at the circumstances for proof of anything. Don't look at how you feel. Well, I'm not feeling better. My symptoms haven't left. It has nothing to do with the Word of God. They will correspond with the Word when the Word never leaves your life. Look only to Jesus. Look only to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He doesn't start things he doesn't finish. Whatever he authors, whatever he starts, whatever he begins, he will finish. In Numbers chapter 21, the plague of fiery serpents came into Israel because of their disobedience, because of their sin, their grumbling, their complaining. Moses interceding to God on their behalf. God gave instructions on how to get them healed, how to get them free. And those instructions were very unique. He was instructed that they should take and make a brazen or brass serpent, put it on a pole. If you ever wonder why, you know, the symbol of, uh, of, you know, of the medical field is that serpent on a pole. It comes from the Old Testament. It comes from that experience that you can read about in Deuteronomy 21. And the thing of it was, God told them that if you're bitten, look at the pole. Look at the serpent on the pole and you'll be healed. Now think with me for just a moment. How difficult would it be if you've been bitten by a poisonous snake? There's no anti-venom. There, there, there are no medical cures. You've been bitten by a snake. Snakes are on the ground. And God says if you get healed, you can't look at your symptoms. You can't look at the potential for more snake bite. You can't look down. You can look up. Some of you need to start looking up way more than you look down. You need to look to the Word. You need to look to what God said. Look at Jesus. I know He's not on the cross. He doesn't have to ever do that again. But you can think about Him. He was on there. And in the mind of God, when He was there, you were there. And all the curse of the law, including every sickness, every disease you would ever have, and all the poverty that you would ever suffer, all the shame and all the anxiety, the worry, the fear that humans would go through, Jesus suffered everything that was due unto us. And if we look to him, if we look to Jesus, and we're prepared to stand forever, you won't have to stand very long. Things will begin to break. Things will begin to change. Somebody says, well, what if it doesn't? You better go back to your three verses because you're still not there. If that's what your thinking is, that's what's coming out of your mouth, you've got to go back until you get so sure that nobody could talk you out of it. Hallelujah. That you could go before God and say, Lord, you said. I've done that. I'm sure many of you have. And you know what? He doesn't get mad about that. He's not offended about it. He is glad that we know his word and we trust him. The greatest compliment.
you can pay to God is to believe Him enough to act on what He says. The biggest insult you'll ever deliver to God is to not believe Him and therefore not do what He says. Amen? Father, we've delivered our words as best we know how. And I just have to trust you to take the seed that we've sown tonight and cause them to produce a marvelous, wonderful harvest in the lives of all those who hear. Not only here tonight, but those who will hear this message later. And for some, maybe they'll hear it again. I thank you for causing your word to be strong and powerful in the life of every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.